0: Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 45, and we are starting Part 3, Stardust Crusaders, the man possessed by an evil spirit. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime, so you've been warned. We have made it officially to Stardust Crusaders. Let's go. Yeah,
1: we're back at it with our episode reviews as we continue to wait for part six, part two. (laughs) Stone Ocean part two. But I'm glad that we are at least returning to Jolene's father, (laughs) in this case.
0: We've kind of come full circle, or maybe gone back in time. Um, But yes, if you're uh, just joining us as we're kicking off this Stardust Crusaders review series, um, while we are waiting for the second core of Stone Ocean, part six, to premiere in what? later this
1: year 2023 yeah, fall 2022 Yeah
0: fall 2022 thank you um while we're waiting for that we decided we would start our Stardust Crusaders review series um while we were doing Stone Ocean we had moved our format to a weekly format temporarily but while we're going through the Stardust Crusaders review series we will be going back to our bi-weekly format so you'll be getting episodes every other week so look forward to that look forward to Stardust Crusaders we're starting it right now we're so excited It's time for Jotaro's story to begin.
1: Yeah, and it's a bit of a coincidence, and you could kind of call it serendipitous, because I saw a tweet a couple days ago, um, actually April 5th. um, It said that April 5th, 2014, was the initial airing of this first episode of Part 3. So it's very fitting that we are getting started on our stardust crusade right around the same time that this episode premiered on tv
0: yeah within days because this episode will go live april 11th so just just shy of a week for us to you know to start stardust crusaders from when the premiere anniversary happened
1: yeah it was the today in jojo history uh twitter account so i'm gonna give it a follow so i can continue learning what happened on this day in jojo history. <laughs>
0: and if you're new to Strictly Jojo, if you're joining us for the first time, maybe our Stardust Crusaders episode title caught your eye and you're like, "Oh shit, I like Jotaro, I like Stardust Crusaders, I like part 3." Welcome to Strictly Jojo. Um if you have not done so already, we highly recommend joining our Discord. We have a lot of people on there who are Jojo fans as well. We talk about Jojo talk about the episode reviews, and yeah, it's a great place. We do post JoJo memes from time to time, as JoJo fans usually do. So we highly recommend checking out the link in our description and joining the Discord to talk all about JoJo and Stardust Crusaders. And if you're listening to us on Spotify... If you'd be so kind, we would love it if you would leave us a rating. You can do that on the iOS or Android app. You just go to the Strictly JoJo page at the top next to the follow button and next to the bell icon where you can get notifications about our new episodes coming out. There's also a star. You just hit that, leave us a rating, and it helps us out a ton. We are trying to get to 50 ratings on Spotify. We're just shy of halfway there. So, yeah, if you enjoy JoJo, if you enjoy our podcast – if you are excited about our Stardust Crusaders review series, please consider li- leaving us a rating.
1: <laughs> yeah, leave us as many or as few star platinums as you'd like, but <laughs> we'd love as many. Um, but yeah, just just, just your feedback is, is greatly appreciated.
0: So let's jump into Stardust Crusaders. I know usually we'll chat about you know what's going on with us, but I feel like there's going to be a lot to talk about in this initial episode for the Part 3 review series. First off we have a new art style with part three. One that is um, vastly different, I would say, from part one and two, which I think pretty much had the same art style. We are, for the first time in the JoJo series, getting a true change in art style. And when I was a first-time JoJo watcher, I was like, what the fuck is this? At first, I didn't even know if I was watching the same show. I'm like, was this a different adaptation or something? But, you know, I very quickly learned that they change art styles every part.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing I noticed was that the colors were a little less vibrant. I feel like with parts one and two, you had this sort of, I would call it like a neon color effect on a lot of the characters. Here it feels a little more, I would say like kind of technicolor, where it's a little bit more closer to uh, like realistic colors. If you can catch my drift.
0: I think so, yeah. There's a, a, a slight level of realism that you get in part three with the color scheme versus the color scheme in, in parts one and two. I think the craziest color scheme, though, is definitely part four because the sky is yellow. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think the art style is way more intense. There was certainly a level of detail with parts one and two, but the aggressive usage usage of lines in part three makes it feel a little more bold than we had in the last part specifically around like the cut jaw lines for Jotaro and and the JoBros faces and like the lines on the cheeks and like not only having shadowing on the faces but also having gradient effects I don't know if these are the correct terms because I'm not an artist but having like additional shading and gradient on the faces kind of makes it really stand out
1: yeah I guess the easiest way to look at it is if you compare at the end of part two where you get a, a brief sneak peek of Jotaro uh, comparing how he looks in that scene to how he appears in the entirety of part three you can tell like the, the style has has changed a bit Uh, I feel like also in part three, everyone just has a bigger physique. Like everyone's more buff for some reason. Yeah, they were already
0: pretty buff in parts one and two, and now they just beefed them up even further in part three. I think one of the things um, that I noticed is, again, going back to that level of realism, the shadowing is a bit more realistic as well in part three, because we had talked about in parts one and two that they actually use geometric shapes in the way that they shadow characters or I'm not sure if they do it with objects as well, but the characters, if you look at them and you'll never be able to unsee this once I say this. So brace yourselves. If you look at the character shading, um, not like the shading and like the small details of their face and, and body, but just like the big shadows, depending on which way the light is hitting the character. It looks like a geometric shape every single time, whether it's a circle or a triangle, or a square, you'll see it once you kind of give it a good look. I think they did away with that in part three, and instead had more detail in the way shadows hit the characters, especially with, like, the folds in their clothes, or the way their muscles are defined under their shirts. Like, it's just very, it's ex- it's exaggerated.
1: Yeah, I'm already looking at screenshots of Chiyotaro in his prison cell. You can tell, like, they they went overboard with the amount of shading just on his jacket um i'm surprised that they put so much detail in it um makes me think like how long does it take just to i mean i I figure every uh anime episode like they're working up until the deadline to get these out but i just wonder how long it, it takes in its entirety to create a Jojo episode, such as this first one for Stardust Crusaders.
0: Yeah, the value production, uh, the value production, the production value in part three, at least in this first episode, is insanely high. Insanely high. Like, just the animation quality of this introductory episode blew me away the first time I watched it, and really every single time I watch it. Yeah,
1: I think the one thing that always inca- or like captivates me is that rotating shot of Tokyo Tower... That's great. Beginning. Yeah, there's a it's lot of so,
0: fantastic shots in
1: this. It just feels so out of place, but I think it's establishing that obviously the story is taking place in Tokyo. But it, it, there's something so cinematic about it that just it just brings you into Stardust Crusaders. And I don't know if that was like a shot for shot from the manga, um, but yeah, I, I figure like it's probably CGI, but it must have taken some work just to put that shot. Alongside with every other detailed shot in, in this episode.
0: And to expand on that, I also feel like you're right, the panning shots are fantastic. Like it goes from panning around the boat that had Dio's coffin into, you know, Stardust Crusaders, the title card, and then you get um, the the shot of Japan, like the, the landscape. You also have the panning shots of Holly and the officers as they walk down the prison hallway over to Jotaro's cell. They're just walking, right? But you get. The, the camera panning as they round the corner and as Holly starts running towards his cell. Um, when Jotaro reaches out to grab the, um, the officer's gun, you actually see his hand rotate in such smooth animation. It's really, really cool. And then one of my favorite parts in terms of the cinematic feel of this episode is when Joseph arrives at the prison and you get the shot of his feet walking one direction along the cell bars and then it switches to Jotaro, walking uh the other direction it's it's another shot of his feet and then it pans up to kind of like their torsos and kind of rotates back and forth as they're kind of as the banter goes back and forth and I thought it was just so well done there are so many great parts of this first episode that blow me away no matter how many times I watch it
1: yeah it's like a boomer versus zoomer well, I guess <laughs> in this case it's like boomer versus gen x since that's when jo- like Jotaro was born in that Around that time, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and I think I, I have all these notes that I've collected over the last um, several months as we prepared for Stardust Crusaders. Um, I believe Joltaro is actually based off of Clint Eastwood, right?
1: Mm, that's what I've heard, yeah.
0: That like Iraqi took inspiration from Clint Eastwood for Jotaro's character design because I think there is a picture out there of Araki and Clint Eastwood uh, meeting and he gifts him a a custom drawing of Jotaro. I'll find a picture of it. It's really cool and we'll post it in the discord.
1: Yeah I I can definitely see like Clint Eastwood qualities in Jotaro. He's obviously a lot rougher around the edges. Um, I don't like those like westerns that Clint Eastwood has been in, or like Dirty Harry. Um, And I think that's that's another thing that I I noted going from part two to part three is you have this tonal shift from Joseph to Jotaro. Whereas like Joseph is more like goofy and quirky. You have Jotaro who you can kind of see from the get-go in this episode that he is... He's quite a bastard in <laughs> how he he's a fucking dick. Yeah, interacts with people, interacts with his mother, with, with Joseph. Uh, so he's more of that like juvenile delinquent. And I think I've said it many times on this podcast that Jotaro is my favorite Jojo, but it wasn't always the case. And I think I've told this story before where we had wrapped up, well, it was my first time watching Jojo and we had wrapped up part two and obviously i was i was on a high after completing that part and like at that point joseph had emerged as my favorite jojo of the two protagonists that we had only seen up until that point but then you wanted to go right into watching part 3 uh and so we started with this episode the man possessed by an evil spirit and i got through it and i just remember having this huge disdain for jotaro <laughs> after watching like again the comedy that was joseph joestar and i w- remember thinking like how am i going to empathize with this character like i did with joseph or even jonathan uh, so yeah that's how drastic it was just adjusting to part three but obviously as stardust crusaders grow or goes on uh, you you get more of an appreciation for Joe Toro and y- you know that there is a heart of gold behind or under that Stoic and kind of brutish facade,
0: he is your classic Sunday character, right? Yeah, angry on the outside, <laughs> precious on the inside. <laughs> That's like a the... weird u- word to use for Joltoho, but yeah. you're absolutely right. It is such a shift going from Jonathan, you know, the prim and proper gentleman Jonathan, to Joseph, who's just a complete goofball and kind of does whatever he wants and then you go from that kind of happy-go-lucky ridiculous character to someone who's extremely straight-laced to the point where he's he's a sundae. <laughs> um it, every single jojo has such a unique personality that when you jump to the next part you have to kind of readjust yourself and get used to that particular jojo's personality so same thing here with part three
1: another thing that was like a drastic change uh, I don't know if you had this in your notes, is just the, the shift in power systems going from Hamon to uh, the stand abilities. I felt like Hamon didn't really get to see the light of day, no pun intended, because we had only seen it in, in two parts, and I think the rest of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure focuses entirely on characters and stand abilities. Uh, like... W- when you first watched part three and you realized they had kind of abandoned Hamon, save for Joseph, who still uses it from time to time, like did you think that was detrimental or?
0: No, I thought it was weird for sure. Um, and I'm honestly, I'm not a person who gravitates towards change. So often I I don't like change and it kind of gives me kind of this, I don't know, uneasy feeling. Um, so it was kind of weird. Not only seeing a totally new art style, a totally new protagonist, um, a a totally new era of Jojo, then also seeing a a totally new power system was a bit strange. But I was okay with it pretty quickly because I find Stance to be far more interesting than Hamon. Mm -hmm. I do have an appreciation for Hamon. I think it's really cool. But at a certain point, it's kind of like, what else can you do with Hamon? And I wonder if that's the issue that Araki faced. When he made this, made the decision to switch from Hamon to stands.
1: Yeah, I can kind of see that. I, like as as much as Hamon, I think deserved at least one more part as the uh, prime power system in JoJo. I think there was only so much you could do with it, and it did start to feel like um, very similar to other combat power systems. Whereas with stand abilities. You, you can kind of come up with anything. as <laughs> so we've we've talked about with like Stone Ocean how how drastically different those stands have been in comparison to everything from parts three to five. Uh, and it's I think you get a lot more flavor, I think, in terms of visuals too and and how like seeing the different stand manifestations, how they look almost like fashionable to almost mechanic. Um, so yeah, I think there's a whole potpourri of things that you can do with stand abilities in comparison to Hamon. Uh, but it's nice that you get a slight transition out with Joseph still having Hamon abilities in part three.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like Quirks in My Hero, right? Like you you open up, you have a power system established that has, uh, I guess, pretty loose rules where you can be more creative with it versus Hamon where... It's the power of the sun. So, like, how many in the palm of my hand? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> got the power of the sun in the palm of my hand. Oh, Spider Man. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, how many things can you do with the sun and with light, right? And and with. I don't know, life energy and things like mm-hmm. that. It's just, it, I'm sure there's a lot, but it's probably far more limited than what you can do with stands. And I kind of wish that we did get a little bit more Hamon. I kind of wish Joseph throughout part three showcased his Hamon ability as the only one in the group that could use it. And because it's literally the trump card against vampires, right? Like that's mm-hmm. supposed to be what fucking kills vampires is Hamon, <laughs> not stands. Although we all know how part three turns out. So I just think it's, I would have liked to have seen Joseph take the spotlight by using Hamon. But I also feel like maybe Rocky figured, I'll just rip the Band-Aid off at this point. Because if I continue to let Hamon linger, then it's going to be harder for the audience to move on from that power system.
1: And of course, JoJo fans will just forgive it immediately because (laughs) it's JoJo.
0: So I had a couple of tie-ins from the previous parts that I thought, we could call out because again, I, I took these notes back when we were going through the part one review series. So, with the return of Dio, I think we have to recognize that Jonathan failed not twice, but three times to kill Dio, and he's back. <laughs> because the first time he tried to kill Dio was when they were fighting at the Joe Manor
1: and the long chimney fall. Yeah, the
0: infinite chimney fall, and then he thinks he kills him off. But then, what was it, Wang Chung? Yeah. He, like, saves Dio, and Dio continues to live. Yeah. And then the second time <laughs> was when they were fighting at whatever fucking town Poco was from. That Basically the castle, mm-hmm. right? Like where... the
1: climax of part one, or like the, the first climax of part one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so when they're fighting at the castle, it's, it's the same fight with the um, you fell for it fool moment. And then the third time he supposedly kills Dio is when he blows his head up on the ship by sacrificing himself as well. Mm-hmm. And it still didn't work. Dio is still back. And on top of that, he has Jonathan's body. So sorry, Jonathan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of wrestled with that at first because like, Dio returning as the main antagonist for part three, it, it does kind of diminish jonathan's like triumphant victory against him in part one especially with that very poignant scene between the two of them on the ship as it's, as it's exploding uh because jonathan's embracing deal as a as a brother and Theo doesn't know how to handle it and then the ship explodes but then here he miraculously comes back and i'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that um, after our synopsis uh but the more i thought about it 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 kind of Like, it can be justified because I suppose that, you know, Dio, I always think, represents the the greatest evil in the JoJo universe. And because of that, you can't dispose of someone who is as malicious and nefarious as, like, the devil so easily. Like, I I can kind of link it to, uh, like, the Harry Potter series where the Wizarding World, spoiler alert, they thought Voldemort was gone for good until he returned by harry's fourth school year
0: i i'll take your word for it <laughs> i don't know anything about harry potter but yes i feel like at first i was also surprised that dio was back but it makes sense because in part 1 they pretty much establish like the narrator establishes that Dio and Jonathan set the course for everything else that happens in the Joestar bloodline. And that makes Dio feel really, really important. But if you Mm -hmm. were only around for nine episodes, because part one is nine episodes, it would almost make the narrator's words feel a little discounted. So here it's, it really is true that Dio does make his return and he continues to be a thorn in the Joestar side for many, many years to come. And at first I was like, damn, Jonathan's the only one who didn't get to finish off his, his, you know, his antagonist of his story. But we have part four, where technically Joske didn't finish off the uh, the antagonist of his mm-hmm. part. So Jonathan, you're not alone there. You and Josuke are in the, the you know the camp of not being able to kill off their villain, or at least have the killing blow.
1: Well, Jonathan still killed Dio. He just didn't know Dio was gonna come back. I guess I <laughs> guess Joske did not fully kill off uh, Kira. So <laughs> Yeah, okay,
0: well okay, I'll put it this way. <laughs> Jotaro has kill steeled twice now. He kill steeled yeah, yeah. he kill steeled Dio from Jonathan and then he kill steeled uh Kira from Josuke. So that's that's Jotaro's
1: legacy. <laughs> yeah. So makes him the best Jojo in my book. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is makes me think of a Dark Knight reference. Here you go. It's when Joker says to Batman that, you know, they are destined to do this forever in terms of Always facing off against each other, and it's the same case here with Dio. He is the biggest thorn in the Joestar family's side, so it only makes sense that we see him continue his journey to take down the bloodline that welcomed him with open arms. Right? It, it's just so strange. But again, I think Dio as like evil incarnate. So,
0: yeah, um, good old Dio. I Can't wait to talk about him some more. Uh, We also had a theory that we had talked about back in part one. And I'll bring it up again because it ties right into part three. And people theorize that Star Platinum is Jonathan's spirit manifested Mm -hmm. because um, the aura was first actually said by Jonathan in part one, aura, aura. And then the gloves, I think you noticed this, the gloves that Jonathan is wearing look identical to the gloves that Star Platinum wears, which is like the gloves with the little discs or like metal discs on the knuckles
1: yeah they have like hard shell knuckles on the 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 gloves or i guess the the gauntlets kind of like what they have on um like tactical gear and i have a picture that actually shows this um and we can put this on the discord where it shows uh jonathan with his gloves on and they have those knuckles and you have uh star platinum who has more knuckles on his on the glove himself. More knuckles? On the glove itself, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was that? Uh, seven, like nine of them. Was...
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: and I guess like even the color scheme for Star Platinum, you could say that Star Platinum it has a lot of shades of purple. And in the same picture, you can see Jonathan wearing his classic purple shirt. And he's depicted in part one, like the anime is having purple hair, so that only strengthens the connection between these two characters.
0: I could see it, and this this comparison shot is really interesting. We'll we'll drop that in the Discord as well. Um, and I think the other thing that fuels this, and I don't know if this was in the manga or if this was just a, inserted in the anime as part of like David Production's um, you know the whole run with JoJo the stained glass window scene from the end of part one it's uh jonathan and Edina have gotten married it's like their wedding photo and there's a stained glass um, window behind them and if you look at it it looks like star platinum is in that stained glass window
1: Mm -hmm. yeah we can post the i found another comparison or like analysis photo that shows this you can make out uh, star platinum's head right above jonathan's in the sh- in the full shot of him and erina on their wedding day um his shoulder pad as well as his hands which looks like they're multiple kind of i guess <laughs> <like a> symbolizing <laughs> like his ora oro punches
0: I love it. I kind of hope that this is an homage to Star Platinum in the future or something, because these little details do pop up from time to time in, in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, at least on in the anime, on the David production side of things. Maybe they put them in as Easter eggs. Who knows? Um, either way, we haven't read the manga, so that's just what we're going to go with.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it makes sense because stands are a manifestation of one's fighting spirit and Obviously, the Joestar blood is so strong with the fighting spirit that you would think Jotaro's own standability is derived from the, I guess he wasn't the first Jill Star, but the, but the one who really showed like strength and resolve. And the Joe Star family, which is Jonathan himself.
0: Yeah, he's the one that started it all. The story starts with Jonathan. Yes, we have George Senior, but the story really didn't start with him. The story starts with Jonathan, and now we are here at Joe Um, One last thing I wanted to say, just as about this episode as a whole, before we go into the synopsis, um, and you know, usually we do talk about our our overall thoughts. I I have to say this episode one of stardust crusaders has to be one of my favorite episodes in all of the jojo anime Um, part three also has one of my favorite fights which is the darby jr fight i can't wait for us to get to that episode so we can talk all about it Mm -hmm. but there is something about this first episode that is just fucking wild it's by far the best introductory episode for a main jojo protagonist of All of them. They all have great introductions, um, but I think this one is by far the best. And I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe the JoJo anime didn't really get much attention until part three came about, which is why I think it is the most popular part. And I think largely that was due to the memes that came out of part three. So brace yourselves for a shitload of memes as we go through this review series. Um, And then that, you know, the memes that came out of part three pretty much grew into the phenomenon that we know today as JoJo meme culture. So after watching this first episode, how can you not immediately get sucked into the show? I've seen this first episode so many fucking times and I love it every single time. We we rewatch JoJo episodes immediately before recording so that everything is fresh and even 20 minutes ago, when we rewatched this episode, I was still dying of laughter mm-hmm. at some of the parts that happen in this episode that we'll talk about. It's just, it's just so over the top and ridiculous in such an entertaining way. And I feel like with this episode and with Stardust Crusaders, David Production really captured the true essence of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, especially with, with the overall ad- adaptation, too, but with this, this episode in particular.
1: Yes, I said earlier, first watching this episode, I was kind of taken aback by it. Again, because of the the significant shift from part two to part three. But the more that we've rewatched this episode, I've I've come to appreciate it. It's kind of weird because there's only four major scenes in this pilot. But I think it's one of the best introductions to a Jojo protagonist so far um in the anime adaptation of jojo's bizarre adventure
0: yeah it's great i think my second favorite one. Ooh, actually i don't know it's a toss-up between joseph's and Josuke's. i i think mm. probably joseph's is my second favorite because that the soda bottle part where he like launches the bottle cap and like cracks off the police officer's finger all that is so fucking cool
1: yeah i would say joseph's is probably my second favorite too
0: i also really love Josuke's just because we see Jotaro first, and we're like, oh, shit, familiar character. And then he meets Josuke for the first time, and the first thing that they do is start punching each other. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's just so great. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that, too. Oh, I love JoJo's Bizarre Adventure so much. But let's get into the synopsis so we can dive into more detail and break down what happened in this episode one.
1: All right, everybody, get your travel gear on as we begin our journey through Stardust Crusaders with our synopsis and discussion for part three, episode one the man possessed by an evil spirit. In 1983 Bizarre Summer, a couple looters dig up some coffin booty off the African coast, but little do they know that that booty is more barbaric than bountiful, as it contains the vessel for one of the greatest villains Zawardo has ever seen. But didn't Irina Bachan emerge from this coffin at the end of part 1, you may ask? Well, there's no time for such frivolous questions, dear listener, as we are thrust into 1987, bizarre summer, as Holly Kujo enlists the help of her father, Joseph Joestar, former savior of the world and current American realtor, in retrieving from Tokyo prison her one and only son that would never hurt nobody know how, the man, the myth, the legend, Jotaro motherfucking Kujo. Jotaro explains to his family that he is being followed by an evil spirit, that not even a jujutsu sorcerer can handle, and thus refuses to leave his jail cell to spare all from its wrath. Joseph who sends in his hired Egyptian muscle, Avdal, to lure his grumbly grandson out with his own evil spirit, a fiery bird person, and explains that the apparitions are nothing more than manifestations of their own fighting spirit, bequeathing these larger-than-life beings with an equally larger-than-life descriptor, stands. After an infernal battle between both stands that causes Jotaro to absentmindedly step out of his cell, the group reconvenes at a cafe where Josephu explains that the emergence of Jotaro's and his own photogenic stand ability is linked to the return of the Joestar's rival family feud contestant, none other than the diabolical Dio, who started a fresh save of his RPG using the body of the noble family patriarch, Jonathan Joestar. Joseph who galvanizes the group to track down Dio and send his ass back to the Shadow Realm. Meanwhile in an undisclosed location, our belligerent Batty senses that Jonathan's descendants are out to get him once more and rolls out of bed. Too bad Jonathan can't have the luxury of rolling, more specifically rolling in his grave, upon seeing how fucked up his family has become. And now on to our next modified segment of the show is that a music and or tarot reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So obviously, tarot cards play a huge role in Stardust Crusaders. So normally, like, we have our music references, but I also wanted to call out some of the tarot card references uh, because they do kind of tie in with the the characteristics and the personalities of the stand users that are attached to these tarot cards.
0: And really quick, just uh, for anyone, I guess, who's not familiar, tarot cards are the naming convention of stands in part three. Mm-hmm. Part four stand naming conventions go back to bands and music references.
1: Well, not going back because I think there is no... Oh right. Stand uh, yeah, that's true. Okay. Convention before it continues, part three. <laughs> <laughs>
0: continues using uh, band names and song titles. And then part five switches to Italian foods.
1: No. The the characters are named after Italian foods. Like the actual Oh characters. shit, you're right. <laughs> the... <laughs> All right. Well, I guess not stand
0: naming conventions, just naming conventions in general. There's a theme with the tarot cards in part three mm-hmm. bands in part four. And five and then, and six. <laughs> and then um, Italian foods in part five and then part six switches the naming convention to fashion designers
1: yeah those are those apply to the actual characters but I think starting in part four a lot of the stands are named after like songs or our musicians or bands and for those of you who are not familiar with tarot cards um, specifically with tarot card reading it's a Form of cartomancy, whereby practic- practitioners use tarot cards purportedly to gain insight into the past, present, or future. They formulate a question, then draw cards to interpret them for this end. Although, what was that word? Cart- Car- cartomancy.
0: I have never like, heard that well, term. <laughs> like the,
1: the suffix mancy, I think, is used to describe things of like the occult or of like magical properties, like necromancy. Uh, which is about, like, uh, what, like, raising? Communicating with the I just looked that up,
0: too. Communicating with the dead.
1: Yeah. Um, So, yeah, cartomancy, which is, I think, communicating through cards.
0: What the fuck? Well, I learned a new term today. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, Although I think, like, the cards are actually used as playing cards in in certain games. Um, I think they originated from Europe.
0: Really? I've learned two things today. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But... I think they are more commonly known now as being used to, again, forecast people's futures and, and all that fun stuff. So we'll start off with a music reference, and that is with the character Muhammad Abdul, And this is a reference to Paula Abdul, an American singer, dancer, choreographer, actress, and television personality, Uh, known for many number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100, Straight Up, which I think is the most familiar, the the song I'm most familiar with from Paula Abdul, uh, Forever Your Girl, Cold Hearted, and Opposites Attract. A lot of us millennials probably recognize her as one of the judges, the original judges, on the television uh, singing competition American Idol.
0: I remember when you told me just the other day, that Abdul was named after Paula Abdul and I was like no fucking way <laughs> I had <have> no <laughs> idea I never knew that and I I find that really odd because when I think of Paula Abdul and I think of um Muhammad Abdul I don't see any correlation I I'm like these two people look completely different like there's there's no <laughs> No correlation at all in my mind, so I don't know how Iraqi decided to name Abdullah after Paula Abdul.
1: <laughs> Maybe like he he loved uh, Paula Abdul's music, uh, but yeah, they're only really linked through last name. What um, is
0: her ethnic origin?
1: Uh, it says here on Wiki that her father Harry Abdul is of Syrian Jewish heritage. Um, her mother uh, was part of or grew up in a canadian jewish family
0: oh okay i was gonna say maybe she's egyptian like avdol is i'm trying to like think of any link but i don't know iraqi can do whatever he wants i guess
1: (laughs) yeah and so speaking of avdol we come to our first tarot card reference which is with his stand magician's red this is in reference to the magician which is the first tarot card in the deck Uh, It says here on the broad level, the magician is interpreted with energy potential and the manifestation of one's desires. The card symbolizes the meetings of the physical and spiritual worlds and the conduit converting spiritual energy into real world action. So I guess it's semi-fitting for uh, Avdol and Magician's Red because besides the glimpses that we get of Star Platinum with Jotaro calling it like the evil spirit, we get the full... uh, full introduction into stands with magician's red because that uh when avdol summons it we we see i think the magician's red is the first stand we see properly and fully in the entire series yeah it also says from the jojo wiki uh that with the tarot card the magician this also symbolizes the beginning of something as it is the first tarot card in the deck um Avdol is shown to be the first character to act on many things. He's the first character to properly use a stand and get into a fight, the first to encounter Dio, and the first to throw himself into danger to save someone. So a lot of firsts.
0: Oh, that's cool. I like that.
1: And we move on to our second uh, tarot card reference, and that is with Jotaro's stand, Star Platinum. It's not given a name yet at this point. I think that's in episode 3. But Star Platinum's name is in reference to the star, which is the 17th tarot card, which I guess makes sense because at this time, Jotaro is 17 years old. Uh, the star- Until
0: he's not, when Araki decides right. to make him 18 for some reason. <laughs> well, maybe
1: they celebrated his birthday off. Uh, no, along I think it's crusade. confirmed
0: that he just decided to switch the oh, age. It did. wasn't a birthday <laughs> thing, <laughs> I think he changed the year that um, Stardust Crusaders took place and that then bumped up Jotaro's age.
1: Oh, I see. Well, that kind of ruins the 17- <laughs> Well, for now. For now, technically. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but the card, the star, it's supposed to symbolize renewed hope and faith and a sense that you are truly blessed by the universe. I guess that kind of <laughs> that kind of describes Jotaro, uh, I guess in terms of hope, because he is really the only person that... Is capable of standing up to Dio because he is uh, a Joe Star. But of is
0: course. he a hopeful person? No, I call no. him. He's not an optimist. <laughs> he's very much a realist.
1: <laughs> I like that. Like, truly blessed by the universe. Uh, <laughs> that makes me think, like when he says at the in his battle with Dio, he's like, "Oh, so it's the same type of stand. as Star Platinum. Like his stand is so blessed that it can match the, <laughs> the exact same ability of his nemesis' his stand." nemesis's stand (laughs) and the last tarot card reference we have in this episode again it's not mentioned by name but it's with joseph's stand hermit purple this is in reference to the hermit which is the ninth tarot card the hermit suggests that you are in a phase of introspection where you are drawing your attention inwards and looking for answers within you are You are in need of a period of inner reflection away from the current demands of your position. I think that second sentence, um, that I feel like applies to Joseph in this first episode. In need of a period of inner reflection away from the current demands of your position. I think it's established here that Joseph has gotten himself, uh, or like he has built himself a a real estate company uh, and is probably traveling around the country trying to sell real estate but then he is summoned to Japan uh, by Holly knowing that there's something amiss with his his grandson Uh, so I think that's this card is pretty fitting of Joseph Uh, I think the hermit is also sometimes considered the mature and wiser version of the magician and that also makes sense because Avdolstan is connected to the magician and you can kind of see like a a sort of mentor-mentee relationship between Joseph and Avdol.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Hearing this, because this is the first time that I'm really hearing the context around the tarot cards that each of the stands are named after. And it's almost like Araki did his research <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and was very thoughtful and intentional in the way he named the stands.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm curious to know why he felt so compelled to include um, references to tarot cards or even why he um, came up with the premise of stardust crusaders like what drove him to do that i'm sure there's an article somewhere that explains that
0: and now it's time for the jojo meme rundown where we list each new jojo meme that appeared in this episode and oh my god there's going to be so many from part three because most jojo memes originate from part three so here we go the first one i have is is uh, actually the first two relate to Jotaro being in the jail cell. Um, the first meme is the, the age old question of how did Star Platinum get all that cool stuff for Jotaro when his stand's range is only two meters?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I have something about that uh, later on, but um, that was what I was wondering because now that we know like certain stands, um, they, they have they're either like long distance or short range or What's the the third one?
0: Um, like an automatic stand?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think Star Platinum fits more within that short range
0: power kind of... stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who the fuck knows? Um, maybe Iraqi forgot. The other meme related to the jail cell sequence is Star Platinum bringing Jotaro really cool stuff and then Jotaro saying, it's an evil spirit, and then Star Platinum just crying. He's like, well, what am I to you? (laughs) I'm like, poor Star Platinum, he's just trying his best to befriend his stand user, and his stand user thinks he's an evil spirit.
1: (laughs) Well, you know how Jotaro is at this point. He's a
0: very practical kind of guy. (laughs) Yeah, he just says
1: whatever comes out of his mouth.
0: The next meme is when Joseph explains what a stand is, to um, to Jotaro and the meme is is in particular a tweet that someone put out that says persona the game persona this is your persona called such as it is a manifestation of your rebellion and a mask for you to face hardships. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. They call it a stand because it stands next to you.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Just the most bare bones explanation. And that's kind of the way Joseph explains it in the episode. He's like, because it appears next to you, it's called a stand. Like, okay, that's fine.
1: I love how he says it so dramatically as if this is a huge revelation
0: and then the last one which is my favorite from this episode oh no there's two more the second to last one which is my favorite from this episode is when Jotaro gets pissed off at Avdol he walks up to the the um jail cell bars and then Star Platinum like rips the bars apart and like flips his head backwards all you know masculine like and I've seen a couple of different iterations um, with this. One of them is like me when I eat my Flintstones vitamins. And if anyone's not familiar with what Flintstones vitamins are, it's uh, it's these vitamins that we all had when we were kids. Um, they like taste,
1: supplementals. Yeah, yeah,
0: they taste like chalk, but they're supposed to taste fruity. They're really nasty, right? But mm-hmm. our moms and dads would always force us to eat them every single day. So there you go, Flintstones vitamins. The other one that I have here in front of me Is um, it's Jotaro at the bottom and then Star Platinum towards the top with his, you know, the bars ripped open. It's eight year old me holding the door open and then my mom entering the store. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, I I feel these. I feel these. The last one is at the end of the episode when Jotaro takes the picture from Joseph in like super dramatic fashion, whips it up in the air, and then slowly lowers it down to eye level and he (laughs) looks at it and it's just a picture of tequila joseph <laughs> i have a gif of this and I'll, I'll drop all of these in the discord so you can see them but i wasn't expecting the tequila joseph when i first saw this gif i was like oh that's that's pretty good i like that but it's just the most dramatic move anyone's ever done to look at a polaroid
1: yeah i have to remember this any type, because a lot of our friends have that we call it instax camera yeah and that kind of produces polaroid like photos i have to remember to like if there's one developing i'll whip it up and slowly bring it down (laughs) as i look at it it'll be
0: beautiful (laughs) and there you have it these are the memes we pulled out from this episode as always if we forgot any memes please reach out and let us know so we can make sure to pay homage to every single jojo meme because there are a plethora in part three so now on to the episode itself um we start off the entire episode the entire part three series with the biggest plot hole in all of jojo and that is Mm. dio's coffin it's so confusing it doesn't make any sense because what we were told in part one was that there was only one coffin available And that Edina and Lisa Lisa as a baby were in that coffin out at sea waiting to be rescued, right? Yes. And then we find out here that the coffin had a secret compartment on the underside, which is apparently where Dio stashed himself, him and Jonathan's body. And how did Erina not know or see Dio make his way into the bottom compartment (laughs) of this coffin? He's fucking huge. Jonathan's body is huge. There's no way she wouldn't have seen that.
1: Yeah, and so I have to kind of put together the timeline of events uh, going back to that ship explosion. Again, it's been a long time since we've seen part one. But if I remember correctly, Jonathan told Erina to... Escape from the ship with the the baby, who I think ended up uh, marrying. <laughs>
0: it's Lisa Lisa's it's like... baby, or at least Lisa, Lisa Wait, is no. the baby.
1: Oh, Lisa Lisa's. is th- yeah. Because yeah, okay, then yeah.
0: she she marries Irina's child that she was pregnant with at the time. Yeah. Okay. George Jr.
1: Yeah, and so Irina's off or like goes off. I, I think uses the coffin as her uh, her her life raft basically, and that leaves Jonathan and Dio on the ship. Like, and, and, uh, Jonathan's cradling Dio's head, and it explodes. So you think, like, the body's gone. And I think later on, in that final episode of part, part one, you see Irina emerge from the coffin. So the coffin's open. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so she, she probably goes on her merry way, gets rescued, leaving the coffin open in the sea. So, yeah, at what point did Dio use this secret compartment if he was had supposedly exploded along with Jonathan on the ship (laughs)
0: good question good question and there is a fan theory out there that oh there was a second coffin on that ship and the reason being is that the coffin i believe in part one did not have dio's name on it but here in part three the the sailor specifically says oh there's dio written on this coffin therefore it's a separate coffin. There's two problems with that, right? First problem, why would Dio need a secret compartment in his coffin if there was a second coffin that he could use where Erina wouldn't be in it? Yeah. And then the other problem is I'm pretty sure they specify in part one during that that, um, final episode that there is only one coffin available. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong. I may have to go back and rewatch it, but I'm pretty sure they say there's only one coffin here get in the coffin we're going shopping
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is just the greatest example of a rocky forgot i think <laughs> yeah the greatest example in all of jojo and i remember when we watched this episode or i watched this episode with you for the first time I-, I saw this scene and i i remembered to ask a question about this um, at the end of the episode and so i turned to you and i said didn't erina already open this coffin Uh, and i asked like well what's the explanation for how dio had gotten this coffin uh, for this part and you were just like yep
0: (laughs) (laughs) like good question
1: there is none there is no
0: explanation for this
1: yeah and i I remember watching a youtube video too where someone tried to explain how this could work but it did not make sense (laughs) so (laughs) as much as you try to rationalize it The only reason is Araki forgot.
0: Yeah. So to really just break it down, Araki is telling us here that there was a secret compartment on the bottom of this coffin. And somehow in the midst of the explosion on the ship in part one, Dio was able to attach his head to Jonathan's body, get into the bottom portion of the coffin, the quote unquote secret compartment, and then stay there for a hundred years until the coffin was pulled up four years before Stardust Crusaders takes place. And after this introductory scene with uh, the big reveal that Dio is back, we then move into Holly at the police station. And I love the way they sort of Joe Toto, like a soft introduction for him, and give us a quick rundown of who he is as a JoJo protagonist by through the, the clipboard and the stats or the information that the police officer is reading off to Holly to confirm that it is her son. I think that's such a clever way of doing that because you're establishing who Jotaro is, um, giving us his background, his the context around his parents and all of that right away so that we can just go right into the story because this is a very quick moving first episode. I don't remember if they really do that with any of the other JoJo's. I think they might... With um with Joseph to a certain degree. Yeah, I degree. remember
1: that with Joseph.
0: But here it's like they didn't just have the narrator pop in and say, "Oh, by the way, here's the new JoJo. Here's everything you need to know about him as you go into the story." They infused that into this this uh, second scene of the episode. So some of the stats here: uh, he's 195 centimeters and built like a brick shit house. How tall is that in feet?
1: That is like six foot four holy shit that's fucking <laughs> that's huge. like a basketball player and basically
0: i'm pretty sure that's the same height as joseph right isn't he also 195
1: um let's see joseph joestar height um six foot five yeah so he's around... like
0: a touch taller he's an yeah. inch taller than than joel toro um we find out that his dad is a jazz musician who's on tour and is japanese we find out that Holly is an american of british descent but i they forgot to mention that she's also half italian cuz isn't suzy q italian
1: yes yeah she is
0: so jotoro is half japanese a quarter italian and a quarter british um, and then we find out that holly has been living in japan for 20 years so you know a few years before jotoro was born and that's why she's so nihongo jozu She's so good at Japanese. Wow. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that I I love about Holly is when she says, hi. And the reason I love that is because, yeah, it's really stupid when she says it and it makes her seem like, you know, kind of a a dumb character. But we quote that all the time in our friend group. When someone asks us a yes (laughs) Yes. or no question, I'll be like, hi, instead of saying yes. Because it's just so funny the way she says it. And technically, her name is Holy Kujo. But most people overseas anyway call her Holly because I think it's two reasons. It's one, the subtitles write Holly instead of holy, but also the way the Japanese voice actors pronounce the word holy is hoodie, which sounds more like Holly, Mm,
1: I guess that's my,
0: my rationale for it. So yeah, technically her name is Holy Kujo. But um, we all know her here in in the West as Holly. Holy
1: Kugel Batman! <laughs> I was yeah, I was trying to find if there was a reference in her name to any sort of music or a musician, but I don't think there was. I keep thinking Holy Diver, which is a song by the band Dio. Uh, which oh. I, I thought like I think Dio is kind of named after that band, but that's a that's just a stretch. That's just me thinking things
0: the rationale i've read and i think this is possibly a fan theory is that joseph wanted to name her holy because he just adores his daughter so much and i think it's just like a doting father wanting to express his love for his daughter so he named her holy which is like a very nice name
1: yeah <laughs> yeah you know
0: <laughs> i think the most uh, important bit of information that we get in this uh in this soft introduction for is is where the Jojo component comes from. Jotaro Kujo. They actually mm-hmm. acknowledge it here. Um, because we get that in part one, right? Jo- Jonathan JoStar Jojo. And then part two, they continue to call Joseph Jojo um, to a certain degree. And then here in part three, and in subsequent parts, they actually break down the Jojo. Because you have Josuke Higashikata, and they explain, and I could be butchering this, it's, it's been a while, but they explain that Josuke obviously is the first joe but then he Higa- got higashikata the way the kanji is written there's an alternate reading i believe where it starts with joe or has joe in it and that's where his jojo comes from
1: mm, okay and
0: then giorno giovanna i don't know if anyone explains it but i know it's written with g's but the sound is similar yeah in the jojo.
1: G- yeah, gio G I O, G I O.
0: and then you have jolene Cujo which is the same kind of situation as Jotaro Kujo. But I just really appreciated that they took the time to implant, like acknowledge the Jojo name, because after the first several episodes, they stopped calling Jotaro Jojo and they call him Jotaro. Jotaro. So at least we had this acknowledgement in the beginning that yes, he is a Jojo.
1: Yeah. I was about to say you, I think with Jotaro and a lot of the subsequent protagonists, they they don't use the Jojo moniker. It's just their, their name. But... Like, I still like that they establish it as their or their nickname to co- to continue that that sort of trend.
0: And then the police officer says, that's stupid. <laughs> he, like, <laughs> makes fun of it. I'm like, damn. <laughs> so as the episode actually kind of gets into the core, um, the police officers and Holly are entering the jail cell area. And Holly runs to Jotaro and has all of these flashbacks of a sweet- innocent Jotaro over the years. And I just want to ask this question right off the bat. Do we think that Jotaro was actually a good kid or do we think this is Holly's perception of him over the years?
1: I think it was Holly's perception because the way that she acts throughout this whole scene, it where she's like, oh no, like my, my Jotaro was like a sweet boy. It reminds me of like a typical... Like, this is a typical mother behavior where they always say, oh, no, it's not my child. My child is an angel. <laughs> so I, I, I'd like to think that this is just her looking at Jotaro through a, a rose-colored lens and then her gets slapped with the reality of who Jotaro really is.
0: Yeah, I think I think the same thing. I think this is Holly's perception of him to a T because even as he's calling her a bitch and telling her to shut the fuck up and even when Joseph says, Holly, don't don't take that from him, she's still like, Hi <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, she's like Joseph was to her. She is a doting parent to Jotaro, regardless of what his behavior is actually
1: like. Mm-hmm. And when when it's revealed, like we we see Joe for the first time and he's like, Shut the hell up, you're so damn annoying, you bitch. I was like, hot damn. <laughs> like, this is the new the new JoJo protagonist. Uh, <laughs> Let me
0: just paint this picture for you. I mean, I'm sure everyone listening has watched this episode. They they've seen this whole this whole thing kind of play out, but this is probably the, the biggest reason why this is one of my favorite episodes in all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And this is definitely my favorite character introduction or main JoJo introduction of all of them. So again, you have Holly running down the hall, all worried about her sweet little boy with all these flashbacks of like, Jotaro's a toddler, him in junior high, him in high school, him saying things like, thanks for the great food that you made me. Just like him being a total angel, right? And then as soon as she gets to the jail cell, it zooms in on his fucking face. And he screams, shut the hell up. You're so damn annoying, you bitch. And then Holly goes, hi, all happy. And then as soon as she says that, the fucking title card comes crashing onto the screen. (laughs) It's so fucking good. That sequence, I have rewatched that so many times on YouTube. And I still laugh at it every single time. It is brilliantly done. I absolutely love the way David Production like had all of this play out and i don't know if it's a one for one to the manga but either way i mean just brilliantly done
1: yeah i think that 30 seconds is just peak jojo's bizarre it's adventure so I fucking think funny if <laughs> someone were to ask you like what is Jojo? You could just send them a, a link to that video and say, this is Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. And
0: they'll probably be like, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> um, you'll be like, exactly. <laughs> so as we get back from the title card and from the the commercial break or like the sponsor part, which is also funny because it uses that really goofy part of Jotaro's theme song as it's just like a black a, and white picture of yeah, him it's, it's a
1: variation of the theme where it it sounds like it's being plunked on a piano or it almost something.
0: sounds like clown music yeah it's just so funny because at that point we haven't heard jotaro's theme yet and what we've seen on screen has been very intense and then all of a sudden you've got like this <laughs> this clown music comes on for like 10 seconds you're like what the fuck was that
1: and before we move on i, I just want to also talk more about like jotaro's like appearance um like, one thing that's cool is that with his, his two, he has two belts for some reason, probably because, because he needs... Because he's built like a yeah. brick shit house and his pants are going <laughs> to explode off his body. Yeah, <laughs> so he probably needs those two belts. Uh, but the triangular pattern on it is very reminiscent of Caesar Zeppeli's headband. So you have like a sort of fashion connection to previous parts there. And I think th- one of the biggest question with Jotaro's uh, overall look in part three is where does his hat end and his hair begin
0: <laughs> the age old there what do they call like the eight wonders of the world <laughs> this yeah. is the ninth wonder of the world is jotaro's hat hair thing
1: <laughs> and i always love seeing how like cause like jotaro cosplayers uh pull this off uh, and they try to seamlessly blend like a, a a black wig with like a cutoff portion of jotaro's hat But it befuddled me the first time that I saw this. And I think I only realized this a couple episodes into Stardust Crusaders. And when I did, I I also turned to you and asked... Like, why is his hat also his hair? And I think you just started laughing at me.
0: I was like, I can't answer that question. (laughs) There are so many questions I cannot answer, but those are great questions. I also love comparing this introductory moment with um, the very last frame or or last moment in part two, which is part two Jotaro, because you get like a very quick zoom in of him and he's in part two art style. Jotaro, as we all know, has spanned the most amount of parts of any uh, Jojo. and he even had a moment in part two. So when you think about all the art styles he's been drawn in it's part two, part three, part four,. Part, um, five. part five, twice. Part part three, part five. yeah. Because there was a, a part three flashback of Jotaro in part five style, mm-hmm. and now part six. So, yes, he has had many, many variations, um, but it is cool to look at his part two jail cell scene at the end um, of Battle Tendency and then compare it to this.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, his appearance at the end of part two, uh, they use the manga colors for his outfits. So, his jacket and hat are like in the scene they appear like a dark blue and then he has his um kind of purple lavender shirt Uh, which
0: means maybe he changed clothes i don't know (laughs) when he was in the jail cell (laughs) no
1: obviously i think it's just it was just a stylistic change on david production's part but now we know him with the anime colors of just the the black hat and jacket and the olive green shirt
0: So then we move on to the airport scene, which is just great. And before we really talk about the airport scene, I just want to talk about Jotaro and Joseph. After watching this episode yet again, I have to say, I I feel like Jotaro is Joseph's karma at work. Because mm-hmm. it's so funny throughout this whole episode seeing Joseph get really flustered and frustrated with Jotaro, especially because he's a stupid, like a very stupid, stubborn kid. And I think back to the way Speedwagon got frustrated and flustered with Joseph back in part two when Joseph was younger. So I feel like this is Joseph's karma. He, he made Speedwagon want to pull his hair out. So now Jotaro is doing the same to Joseph.
1: I mean, there are a lot of characters in part two that couldn't put up with Joseph's shit. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like this is the universe <laughs> throwing it back at him.
0: Definitely, definitely. But the airport scene opens up with Holly so excited to see Joseph, Joseph equally excited to see her. And then he shoves that poor Japanese guy out of the way and says, move.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love how like, the, it's a seamless transition because in part two, uh, I think he kicks a, a, a Japanese guy <laughs> The the the,
0: Japanese guy rolls over his foot with his suitcase and then he like pushes him or kicks him or something. Yeah,
1: and then he shouts, I'll never forgive the Japanese. And you still have that same behavior tied in here. Same energy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that consistency.
0: I love that Joseph also says, if my only daughter needs help, I can be anywhere in the world in 24 hours. This plays into the the very in-depth conversations that we've had throughout our Part 2 review series that Joseph loves his friends and family and prioritizes them more than anyone else. And it's especially true with his daughter. I mean, you can tell Holly is spoiled, probably because Joseph was very wealthy, um, both when the money he inherited and, I think, becoming a real estate tycoon. he, Mm -hmm. He had a lot of money, but then also just doting on his daughter because... He, again, loves family so much. We see it all the time with the way he was overprotective of Edina and Speedwagon and Caesar, and now we're seeing it with Holly.
1: Yeah, just one of those noble star qualities that continues on with these protagonists. Um, two things I wanted to call out with this airport scene is I like how you can hear his mechanical hand as Holly just starts tickling Joseph out of oh, nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, a reminder to us that Joseph did lose his hand in part 2. And so it's kind of like a like a Luke Skywalker in a way <laughs> with this <laughs> with this mechanical hand. And I think it, it starts freaking out and that's when you can kind of he- hear that uh, robotic noise. Uh I also noted that he He says, I, Joseph Joestar, am here now. And it's a declaration that feels very similar to, like, a a key line from Giorno Giovanna in in part five. But I, Giorno Giovanna, have a dream. Oh,
0: yeah. I thought you were going (laughs) to say it was weird because he's saying that to Holly and she's like, yes, I know who you are. No, but, like, him saying
1: (laughs) I and then his name. Like, I I think a lot of people equate that more with Giorno. But it's kind of it's very coincidental that joseph uses that same sort of phrasing
0: yeah yeah and maybe it was also so that avdol knew he was nearby because avdol's like just sitting there watching all of this unfold not saying anything (laughs) um holly does tell joseph that the policemen couldn't see the stand but she could and this was our first sign that she was developing a stand i mean either way She was bound to because of the bloodline, but it confirms to us that she was starting to develop something um, even before Joseph landed in Japan. So then we go back to the jail, and um, Jotaro questions why Joseph came from New York and says that there's nothing that he can do to help him, and clearly he doesn't know about Joseph's legacy from part two because I'm like, this guy saved the world, from cars, whether it was a, a fluke or not, whether it was pure luck or not, we've had that debate before, but he saved the world from cars. There is a lot that Joseph can do. He's He's been around the block. But this makes me think we've talked before about how there's this common theme in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure where the the people in the Joestar bloodline don't actually tell their children about the joestar bloodline because Mm -hmm. edina purposely didn't tell joseph in part two so that she could protect him from fate although fate you know he can't really change that in part four i mean I don't know how much Josuke's mom really knew about Joseph, but Josuke pretty much knew nothing about his dad. Mm -hmm. In part five, I mean, granted, Giorno didn't have a a dad around, so that that one's understandable. But then in part six, similarly, Jotaro never told Jolene anything about the Joestar bloodline until they reunite. So here in part three, it's the same thing where we can assume that Holly and probably Joseph as well – didn't bother to tell Jotaro anything about the Joestar bloodline because the cafe is the first time Jotaro's hearing any of this. It's just so interesting that this this issue, this mistake keeps popping up over and over again in the Joestar bloodline, even though they should probably learn that at some point it's actually a good thing to let your kids know. That way, when these enemy stand users inevitably pop up, they'll be ready for it.
1: I think it's just a matter of... When these characters become parents, they want to be protective of their children because this is this is a world and a uh, and a threat that they wouldn't want them to to face head on. And so I think like Joseph, just because of how much he he spoils Holly, he probably wanted to keep her out of like this this potential family feud between the Joe stars and and Dio. And I think, you know, Holly was probably just so airheaded that since she didn't know any of that, she would in turn cuddle Jotaro. And that's why he didn't know anything before Joseph reveals it later at the cafe.
0: I wonder if Jotaro does know, though, about Joseph having powers. Because Holly says right before the airport scene that, you know, my, my father, Joseph, had, you know, unique powers when... He was younger or whatever i can't remember the line that she said but basically she acknowledges that yes i know i am aware that joseph had powers or has powers and so i'm wondering if this is the same thing happening with joltaro so she knew at least that much i'm wondering mm. did she ever tell joltaro does he know at this point maybe that'll get clarified in the next episode or two but yeah i'm, I'm not sure
1: or maybe it's uh holly just being so naive and you know joseph playfully says to her like oh i have magic powers and she just goes (laughs) along with it
0: i could see that (laughs) um so then we have avdol's like true introduction here at the jail cell as he is tasked with getting Jotaro out of there and first and foremost avdol is not wearing a necklace i need i need to call this out because people think that's a necklace i think it's earrings connected like, oh, like the gold
1: yeah plates? it doesn't go
0: around his neck it stops at his earlobes i think there it's technically one big earring that connects i don't know why i needed to say this but i just i needed to because it looks like a necklace but it's not it's a really fucking weird You're set of earrings
1: right i'm looking at a picture from the jojo wiki of avdol the the gold plates don't continue around the back of his neck what? I can't
0: imagine how fucking heavy that is. His earlobes are probably got, like, going to stretch or rip at some point. Like I've worn heavy earrings before and that's very uncomfortable. He's wearing a whole fucking like a n- like half necklace or on his two ears. So
1: like- how do like, Avdol cosplayers deal with this. They probably make it a necklace. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they probably take the easy route and just make it a necklace. Um, fun fact, and again, I take this with a grain of salt. I'm not entirely sure if this is accurate, but I have read that Araki pretend killed Avdol partway through part three because he didn't want to draw his hair anymore because it was too difficult. <laughs> I did hear about this. <laughs> and I-, I could see that. His hair... Is extremely unique um, compared to hair design for a lot of the other characters so again I don't know if this is accurate or not but I have heard that that is the reason Araki pretend killed him so that he could have a break from drawing his really difficult hairstyle
1: I'm glad that Avdol came back he's a character that I enjoyed watching in this part kind of like the the straight man for the group
0: yeah (laughs) and they certainly needed that Mm -hmm. um and then the fight unfolds and there's a lot of shit that happens a lot we learn about magicians red we see star platinum manifest for the the first time um i do want to call out one uh one bit of sound design and that's when magicians red takes Jotaro by his arms and his legs with fire and then smacks him against the wall above his bed the crash whip sound that plays as soon as magicians Red like slams him against the wall is so satisfying to me that is such a cool sound and we've talked before in a a whole episode dedicated to sound design and jojo's bizarre adventure uh, about the way david production goes about sound design and how it's just very unique, um, and very amplified and, and exaggerated in in the show. And I just have to call out anytime a really cool bit of sound design pops up.
1: I didn't even notice that, I think I was just looking at how strange Magician's Red looked in appearance. It's a, it's a chicken <laughs> dude. <laughs> well, that, that's that's cool that it was more of like a whip sound. Than...
0: Next time you watch the episode, listen to it, it's just like a really aggressive like, crashing whip noise. I love it so much. And if you're interested in hearing the episode where we talk all about sound design, it's episode 42 of Strictly Jojo, iconic sound design in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure.
1: The one thing I noted with this sort of battle between uh, Magician's Red and Star Platinum is you're expecting, like, this huge showdown once Jotaro's stand, Star Platinum, manifests and he breaks out of the cell. And then... Avdol suddenly just turns around and stops fighting. I thought that was a brilliant way to to end it. Like it's, it's very unexpected, but like he was staying true to like what Joseph had asked of him, which is to, to get Jotaro out of his cell. And I think Avdol makes reference to uh, one of Aesop's fables, and I looked it up. It's actually the tale of the north wind and the sun. And I think basically in that story... The wind and the sun were competing to see who was more like powerful in affecting this traveler Um, I think what Abdul says is like the wind only made the traveler pull his cloak closer but the warm Sun made him admit defeat Uh, so the moral is like the superiority of persuasion over force which is basically what Abdul did with uh, with Jotaro here is he he didn't uh, battle Jojo like with melee combat but just more f- persuaded him to come out of the cell.
0: Every time I hear Aesop's Fables, I think of that quote from The Office: Aesop's foibles.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, that's uh, yeah, one of the uh, Oscars trivia group. Um, yeah, that trivia episode. I also, I just suddenly thought of like ASAP Rocky. Oh, that too. Yeah, I guess Aesop Rocky.
0: <laughs> I also really love um, in this you know final jail moment. The POV for the policeman, where they can't see anything that's going on, they just see Jotaro flying through the air, and they just feel the heat like intensifying throughout the the area. They're like, "What the fuck is happening?" They look at the thermometer, and it's like skyrocketing. It's fun the few times in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure where we get to see things from a non-stand user's point of view.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> You're just. So oblivious, not oblivious to what was going on, but they were like, What the fuck is going on? What is going on?
0: <laughs> and that's a running meme in the JoJo community is, um, you know, what it looks like to stand users and then what it looks like to non stand users. Oh, yeah, like when
1: you have Joel Teron, Dio just floating, admitting, yeah, during their climactic
0: <laughs> fight, like they've got stands and they're punching, and then from a, a non stand user POV, it's just two dudes like hanging there in the air screaming at each other buildings
1: exploding around them for no reason (laughs) so good Uh, i don't think we brought this up yet but like jotaro has continuously said in this episode that he doesn't want to leave the cell out of a sense of like protecting others from this evil spirit and so it's interesting because despite seeing jotaro's brutish and callous nature he still has enough of that Joe Star quality in him to indirectly, but still show care for others by choosing to isolate himself so he can't do them any harm.
0: Oh, I never thought about that. That's a really good point. Because he even says the same thing to Jolene in part six, that he's impressed with her choices and the way she wants to protect others. Oh
1: yeah, I forgot about that. And he's
0: like, hey, I felt the same way when I was in jail as a teenager. <laughs> <Full> <laughs> like circle. father, like daughter. <laughs> yeah.
1: And before we go into the cafe meeting, I think the eye catch for most of Stardust Crusaders, uh, it introduces the stand stats or the stand charts, which I never really paid attention to before. But it's something that I'd like to bring up now, um, and we can I can share, or we can share photos of these stats in the Discord. But I forget which is oh we got one for Magicians Red, I think that was the first one.
0: Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't pay attention.
1: <laughs> well, I I pulled this image from from Google, and it's of uh, I think joseph's uh, stand profile and it also translates Uh, so the profile or the stand chart is a a circle uh, with six different letters Um, and starting from the top and going clockwise you have the um, the stats of destructive power speed range stamina precision and development potential wait stamina
0: or durability
1: yeah, it's durability or... Um, oh, uh, I don't know if you're looking the same picture or not. No, yeah. Um, I've seen durability and stamina used uh, interchangeably. I think destructive power is self-explanatory as well as speed and range, stamina. Precision is more of like a stand's accuracy. Uh, development potential... I think it's more in terms of like l- the stand leveling up in abilities.
0: Uh, let me guess. Star Platinum's is all the way over to development potential <laughs> because it's the same stand as Star Platinum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, and so you have the five letters uh, A through E. I think A kind of being the top tier. Um, so this chart shows, like with Joseph, his his durability is ranked as A, Although his speed and destructive power is ranked at D. So obviously, like, uh, Hermit Purple isn't great in those categories. Uh, I can also pull up uh, Star Platinum's stand chart.
0: I feel like, like, I don't know, Hermit Purple should probably have more in the range category because we see him reach pretty far with Hermit Purple, including when he does the Spider Man move.
1: Yeah, that's true. He uses it as, like, vines. Um, so I don't know who really... Can, uh, if Araki came up with these, like, stand charts or if it was something put together by David Production. Uh, but I looked up Star Platinum stand chart, and he is ranked A in almost everything except... Range? Yeah. Nice. So this goes back to our question before, is, like, how was Star Platinum... Able to pull all of these objects into Jotaro's jail cell if he has limited range. Or here it's ranked C, C level,
0: two meters. That's all he's got. <laughs> yeah.
1: So every like everything that he pulled had to be within two meters.
0: What's two meters in feet?
1: Um, guys, okay. we
0: we live in the United States. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> <So> we <laughs> we're gotta, not on the metric system. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, that would be six and a half feet. Oh, uh,
0: yeah. Well. I mean, in a jail cell, he wouldn't have access to all that stuff within six feet. Six and a half feet.
1: Because it's just the jail cell and the hall. Yeah. (laughs) So Araki just forgot. I don't know.
0: So then we move into the final scene, which is at the cafe. And holy shit, do I love this scene. It is just... The the epitome of over dramatic JoJo moments. So we have Holly hugging Jotaro while he says, "You're damn annoying, you bitch." And then Joseph gets pissed at him, understandably so, mm-hmm. and tells Holly that he shouldn't be, uh, she shouldn't accept that and take that from her son, and that he shouldn't be speaking that way to his mom. Just like this is one of those like when when you're sitting at a restaurant minding your own business and you can see a family arguing across the way. Like that's what that feels like.
1: Yeah. I was I'm not like super sensitive to swearing but like this is Joe Thoreau swearing to his mom in front of her father like i would have had the same reaction but i think it's context
0: it's okay yeah i get it like that sucks and he should definitely not be speaking to his really nice mother that way but i think it plays into his character development throughout part three um he really Jotaro really comes into his own and matures drastically throughout this part and he goes from being this delinquent character who doesn't give a shit about anything to You know, risking his life to save Holly, to save Joseph, to save his friends, and then goes on to become the mentor character for several other Jojos um, throughout the next couple of parts. And he even takes it upon himself to then, you know figure out all the shit with anim- enemy stand users, be part of the Speedwagon Foundation, and become a, a marine biologist. So yeah, going from episode one of part three to the Jotaro we know today, tons of character development um, really just kind of changed Jotaro when he went on this this adventure and probably spending a lot of time with Joseph helped with that. But yes, regardless... It is very jarring when he swears when he swears at his mother or at anyone really. Started
1: at the bottom, basically. Yeah. <laughs> the very bottom of the barrel.
0: So then Joseph explains everything about the Joe Star bloodline and about their history with Dio. And then I again I wonder like, did he not tell Holly all of this before? But by the end of this conversation she looks very confused, so he probably didn't bother. Um, and then Joseph gets pissed when Jotaro hears all this and just sighs and rolls his eyes at Joseph and doesn't believe anything about this crazy story um, involving their family and some vampire. And honestly, I'm not surprised that Jotaro is skeptical because I think anyone would be skeptical hearing that story.
1: Yeah, but I love how Abdul, Abdul calmly rebuts with saying, you just saw these fucking spirits go at it like this is (laughs) already like you already have to just accept the outrageousness of this situation as being real
0: i think that's a great um sort of character dynamic between joseph and jothro joseph he just kind of runs with things and he comes up with lies and schemes himself Jotaro's on the other end of the spectrum where he is very practical very realistic very skeptical about things um very thoughtful about things so it's just funny watching the two of them go at it all the time like here where Joseph is getting fucking pissed at his grandson for not taking this shit seriously.
1: And then Avdol has to end up being the middle man in yep. of all of this.
0: <laughs> well, thank God Joseph is a wealthy man because he explains that he needs to break an expensive $300 camera every time he wants to use Hermit Purple and take a picture of Dio.
1: Or would it be uh, 30,000 yen? That's Oh, yeah, $300. Yeah. Yep.
0: And then um, after he smashes the camera on the table, a waiter comes over asking what the fuck is going on, and Avdol shoos the waiter away. <laughs> I'm like, damn, dude, he's just doing his job. Um, and then Joseph goes into an explanation around the Joseph, the Joseph, the Joe Star birthmark. And this is the first time we're getting a true call out about the birthmark in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Again, I could be wrong. I probably should have done a little more research before this episode. But I believe in the manga, in parts one and two, they did not have the birthmark. But David mm-hmm. Production added the birthmark to those parts in the anime adaptation to make the story mo- more cohesive when it came to the birthmark explanation in part three because you do see the birthmark on joseph throughout part two because he's wearing like a tank top most of the time and i'm pretty sure you see it in part one on jonathan
1: yeah i'm looking at two screenshots We can probably share this in the discord too um one with joseph and the birthmark and the other is jonathan I forget which enemy he's facing, but the enemy's on the ground and you can faintly see it's covered in shadow, but you can see the Joestar birthmark on Jonathan's back. So it's nice that David production kept that consistency here, despite uh, like chronologically the birthmark appearing in the manga in part three.
0: I also really like that Joseph talks briefly about Lisa Lisa, saying that his mother told him that his father died when he was young, but also had the birthmark. It just kind of makes me think that, you know, the few times that Joseph references Lisa Lisa plays into the fact that they were finally able to spend time together after the conclusion of part two. Because I mean, Lisa Lisa left him when he was a baby and now they're making up for lost time. Because I believe at the end of part two, Joseph and Susie Q move to America with Lisa Lisa because she remarries. Mm -hmm. And it's that fucking face that Joseph makes where he looks like really just, (laughs) he looks like so fucking pissed that he has to move to America. You're like exasperated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then um, the second to final scene, or I guess moment, in this episode is the photo itself. And they make this photo reveal so fucking dramatic. It's it's hilarious to watch. You have Jotaro, constantly asking about the photo more and more aggressively as Joseph is instead trying to tell the story about Dio and the Stars in such an over-the-top way. And then Jotaro grabs the photo from across the table, whips it in the air, and then slowly lowers it to eye level while the music gets more and more intense and reveals a picture of Dio on... Dio on jonathan's body Dio with jonathan's body mm-hmm. <laughs> again like the, the the whole cafe scene is just ridiculous in the best way it just makes episode one that much better
1: and you get that iconic shot of dio with his back turned to the camera and holding up i don't it, the
0: shadow do you, pose i think they call it dio shadow pose where it
1: kind of looks like the the heart thing that K-pop fans. Use oh it? yeah, I guess right. Is that is that how Dio's posing? I, I don't remember now.
0: He kind of is. Like his fingers. No, he's got. It's like his um, middle finger and thumb are touching each
1: other. Oh, you're right. I I was gaslighting myself. <laughs> uh, but th- this just came to mind. So it's clear that Dio is standing in this photo, right? Yes. When it cuts to Dio later, doesn't Dio like? wake up in a bed
0: uh shit yeah you're right <laughs> a rocky forgot i don't know <laughs> unless he was
1: posing like this in bed <laughs> or
0: he was standing up and then f- he then laid down after the picture was taken i don't know <laughs> no,
1: well that would have been a very opportune um, time to have taken the photo Then this is
0: also <laughs> i don't know if this is the exact picture but this is also the same picture essentially that Giorno has in his wallet in part five of his dad
1: which how did the fuck did he get that picture I have no fuck I think (laughs) his mom
0: gave it to him I don't know but yeah it's it's the Dio shadow pose picture that Jorno has in his wallet and then he goes to um to mimic at the end of part five
1: yeah and I think in the second OP for part five he he does the shadow pose uh yeah yeah I'm looking at it right now it's the same exact pose in that second OP
0: and then in the final, final, final scene of this episode, we have the um, the Dio reveal. I mean, he's been revealed like six times in this episode, but like mm-hmm. now we see him in action.
1: But we don't see his face. I think that's always shadowed until like the very end.
0: It's we don't see his face reveal, um, until was it season two of, of Stardust Crusaders? Yeah. It was a while into the show. Yeah. Because they keep him kind of shrouded in the in the shadows. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Even though, like, we, we know what the fuck Dio looks like, but they wanted that suspense.
0: Yeah, we, we, they wanted to reveal part three Dio art style for like a later day. But um, I guess one thing I, I didn't know and I caught this time around was that Dio came back four years ago, but the Joe Stars started manifesting their stands um, as early as one year ago. More recently, of course, for Jotaro and Holly. But Joseph says that his stand manifested a year ago. So, timeline wise, Dio comes back four years ago, but then one year ago is presumably when he used the stand arrow on himself, activating the stands across the Joestar bloodline. But then, like, it took a little while, I guess, for Jotaro and Holly to get theirs.
1: Okay. Yeah, I wonder why it was Joseph first, then Jotaro, and then Holly?
0: Well, Holly probably already started manifesting it because she was able to see Star Platinum. Oh, right. Mm. But maybe because she's um, uh, got a, a weaker spirit, she's a weaker person than Jotaro and Joseph. Maybe mm-hmm. it just took longer for her stand to actually fully man- manifest itself. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I my guess, my logic for this is maybe it's based on bloodline because Joseph is older. Oh, and, and closer, closer to dio mm, and jonathan that's why his stand activated first also because he's more skilled and probably has a stronger aura just based off of his life aura. yeah his aura or, or his aura <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i guess it, it manifested pretty quickly for Jotro because again he has more i would say more of a fighting spirit than his mother
0: yeah definitely um and then that's it then Dio's back, and then we get a preview for the next episode, and that next episode is Oin's introduction.
1: Yeah, I like um, one more thing is like Dio. One of the last things he says is talking about with the Joe Star, um, realizing that they are still like his uh, Jonathan's descendants are still alive and and well, um, tying it back to this must be like fate, and this is a fate that he must be rid of and a destiny he must erase. Uh, So we have another use of the theme of fate and destiny uh, coming full circle with part three. Uh, And so this will be a very interesting journey as we learn more about how Jotaro's fate is intertwined with Dio's fate.
0: You know what's interesting to think about? This is all Dio's fault. If he didn't activate his stand power, the stars would have never known that he came back.
1: Oh, right.
0: Right? Because I think it's not until... Because Joseph says that he acquires the coffin, but I don't know if he specifies when he acquires the coffin to do his research. So it may be a year ago when his stand manifested and he was like, oh, shit, I'm using Hermit Purple. I can see Dio. I got to find out more about what's going on here.
1: Oh, I didn't even catch that he procured the coffin.
0: Yeah, I think he says something along those lines, probably through the Speedwagon Foundation.
1: Interesting. The, The coffin... That serves as a terrible MacGuffin, <laughs> <laughs> the Macuffin. And so that brings us to our final thoughts for part three, episode one, The Man Possessed by an Evil Spirit. So how possessed were you by this introductory episode to the number one JoJo, in my humble opinion?
0: I fucking love this episode. Like hands down, as, as I said earlier, one of my favorite episodes in all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I think it's fucking hilarious it's wild it's over the top it's very well done very well written very well animated um just everything about it exudes Jojo's bizarre adventure like people say it's hard to explain what the show is about and how weird it is and to your point earlier just show someone this episode just show someone the clip of JoJo yelling at Holly and then Holly being like hi it's it's the full embodiment of everything I love about this show. So yeah, this this is a fucking fantastic episode and I'm already excited to rewatch it at some point. What about you?
1: I think yeah, I, I've mentioned this in the beginning. It was a, a jarring change for me, uh, watching this episode originally, uh, having enjoyed all of Joseph's antics and hijinks in part two, and then going to this foul mouthed, uh, juvenile delinquent that is Jotaro. But I think this really was a fantastic introduction to the tertiary Jojo protagonist of the series. Um, I think the abandonment of Hamon after only two parts was a slight letdown, but I think the series certainly kept its bizarre nature by shifting the focus to stands, which have now sort of become iconic for the anime in, in its own right. Um, I also love that we got, got the return of Dio, because as threatening as cars and the pillar men were from part two they don't really hold a candle to who i believe is like the evil incarnate of the jojo universe and obviously the one man who conjured up this entire family drama in the first place uh so yeah all in all this was a great pilot episode for part three and just rewatching it again and doing this this episode review series has gotten me all excited for our own podcast, Stardust Crusade.
0: Has it got you all hot and bothered for Joltaro content?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen part three, so I'm excited to get more of Not yet, Daddy Jotaro.
0: (laughs) And I hope you guys, our listeners, are equally excited. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Join us every other week for the next several months until Stone Ocean premieres in fall 2022 as we make our way through the first part of Jotaro's journey in Stardust Crusaders. And that wraps up episode 45 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com strictlyseries The Strictly Series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you'll find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued.